The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Uh, and welcome to the forum. Uh, today I'm going to start off by showing uh, three pictures of three different people from three different areas of life. And all of them have something in common. There's a common thread that pull, uh, pulls them all together. Uh, here are the three pictures. Let's see if you know who they are. Okay, well, the person on your top left is Gary Ablett. He's the captain of the Gold Coast Suns and AFL football team. The person on your top right is obviously Steve Jobs, the founder uh, and the driver of Apple for a very long time. And the person in the middle is my lovely wife, Grace. Now, what do all these three people have in common? A sportsman, a businessman, and someone from my family. Well, a close friend looked at them and said, well, Mark, they're all things that you love. And I thought, oh, that's true. I'm into AFL. I have a plethora of Apple products. I'm wedded to them, and I'm also wedded to my wife. But that's not the common thread. In fact, the common thread is that in their context, in their environment, each of these three people are indispensable. They are the go-to person, they have specialist knowledge, or they're the cog that holds everything together. Let me explain. Gary Ablett, captain of the um, football club, uh, he got injured this year, uh, a, a season-ending uh, injury. Now, the, um, when Gary Ablett doesn't take the field, do you know what the win-loss record of the Gold Coast Suns is? They've done it 12 times. They won once and lost 11 times. Gary Ablett is indispensable. He's the go-to person for the club. In fact, that's the negative. Let's look at it in the positive. When Gary Ablett came back, the second game, they win. He is the indispensable part of the team. Let's go to our next person, Steve Jobs, founder of Apple. Uh, because I'm invested in Apple, I've got a lot of Apple products, uh, I've been reading the tech reviews, and actually, hands up, does, did everyone own a Nokia phone at some point in time? Yeah, yeah, okay. Does anyone own a Nokia phone today? One person! I've done this talk three times, and there's always one person who does. Congratulations. Uh, now, all tech, ex the new, the tech ex experts are predicting that Apple is going to same way as Nokia. Uh, why? Because Apple uh, used to be on the edge of innovation, especially when Steve Jobs was running the field. He had specialist knowledge. He could predict the trends and, and innovate, but Apple now is over-aligned on iPhones. Uh, they're not as innovative, and in fact, the latest innovation, the iWatch, was a flop. And so thinking Apple, without Steve Jobs, is heading away of Nokia. Steve Jobs was indispensable. Finally, uh, I think uh, when it comes to my wife, a picture uh, says a thousand words here. When my wife is not around, I have two kids, a one-year-old called Mitchell and a three-year-old uh, called Annabelle. Uh, this is what 
my household looks like. Uh, when my wife is not around, uh, uh, my son somehow manages to terrorise my, uh, my, uh, my daughter, that him unintentionally suffocating her, which is his play. And as the responsible dad, what was my first action? Take out my phone and take a picture. You know, this is cool. Uh, maybe not. See, my wife is indispensable because she's the cog that holds everything together in my family. Three people, each indispensable because they're the go-to person, they have specialist knowledge, or they hold all things together. And yet, to be indispensable doesn't mean that you're irreplaceable. They're different. Uh, after all, uh, Gary Ablett was replaced. The, the Gold Coast Suns kept on playing, didn't they? Apple continues to produce products after products without Steve Jobs. And God forbid anything happened to my wife, Grace, but if something did, uh, we mourn, we, we, we grieve deeply, but eventually life would move on, because life does go on. There is a difference between being irreplaceable and indispensable, because being indispensable means that you offer something that someone else cannot. There's an exclusive advantage of keeping these people where they are. Conversely, if I look at that negative, to ignore or replace somebody who's indispensable, well, you better know what you're in for. You better know the consequences because the stakes are high. Opportunities can be lost. You can invite a poor track record. Indeed, you can have dysfunction. Really, if you're going to choose, after you've identified someone who's indispensable, if you're going to choose to move them on, you really need to revisit and rethink that decision. Tread carefully. Well, today we're finishing off our series titled Interviewing God, and the scenario, as Tor took us through, is this. You're sitting down, you're the interviewer, there's a table in front of you, and on the other side of the table is a chair. Empty right now. And in the background is a door and it creaks open. And your next candidate walks in, but this time it's God. God walks in, pulls out the chair, the empty chair, and sits down. As the interviewer, you might take a deep gulp. And you're thinking, well, what's my first question? What would you ask God? And how would God answer? What would this answer be? And today, uh, we're, we've left the final question. We're in the final uh, question rather interview, and it's the hardest one. So, God, what can you offer that someone else cannot? And it's difficult and hard for two reasons. Firstly, because as the question acknowledges, there are alternatives to this God. There is a someone else. There are other applicants, buying for the position of God. The religious marketplace is crowded. There are other options. So the question we're really asking is, so God, why you? But secondly, it's also a difficult question because the religious marketplace seems to be shrinking. We're increasingly sophisticated, where technology has renewed our confidence in our combined abilities. So what can God offer that we haven't grasped already? 
Our question is, so who needs this song? Not only is the religious marketplace crowded, but it's also shrinking. So our question is difficult. What makes this God indispensable? What makes this God, or to deliberately ignore or replace this God, a decision which should be rethought and revisited? Well, to answer this question, we're going to look at a part of the Bible, uh, which we'll be looking at throughout the four weeks. It's kind of a transcript, and it's on the left-hand side of your outline on the top. It's Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. But just to make it easier, I'm going to show uh, the verses on the screen. Here it is. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, his son, Jesus Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things. Now, I've worked at Ernst Young, as Tor said, and one of the things, the low lights in the job was the number of meetings that I needed to go to, right? Just meeting after meeting. And so you're kind of reluctant to go to the meeting, and when you, you go, you kind of you think, okay, I'm going to pluck up, I'm going to contribute. But as soon as you contribute, what often happens? The next person says something different, and then you kind of got this whole politics on meeting and you know somebody else says it but in a meeting what's the most influential position to be in? which word kind of controls and shapes everything else it's not the word in the middle is it it's the last word the person who gets the final say has the power to what or has the power to Affirm or deny everything that's been said before has the power to sideline or redirect all that that was before. Have you ever been in that meeting where there's been a robust discussion and there's just that one person, generally the most senior, who's sitting back a little bit, doesn't say much. You chat, you chat, you chat, you think you've got a resolution, then they come in and say something which takes the meeting in a totally different direction. And you just, babies, don't want to do it. Well, when the writer of Hebrews describes Jesus as the heir of all things, uh, what the writer is saying is Jesus has the last word. The heir is the last person standing. When a will is executed, when all uh, debts are discharged, who receives everything? Who's the last person standing? It's the heir. The heir has the last word. Indeed, Jesus' inheritance, appoint, Jesus was appointed heir of all things. So all paths, all life stories, no matter their point of origin, lead to and end with Jesus. Jesus has the last word in our lives as well. Now I came across this quote, and I think it captures how we feel about death. It's a hypothetical, there's a conversation between life and death. And life asks death. Why do people love me but hate you? Death responded, because? Because you are a beautiful lie and I am a painful truth. Death is a painful truth. Our technology, technology has done wonders to improve our life, expand our lifespans, and yet, Death still has the last word. 
And because it does, it has the position of power. In fact, it redirects all that's been said and felt so that life can seem like a beautiful lie. But if Jesus has the last word, that means death does not have the last word. No one escapes death, and yet Jesus speaks even after death. And so life doesn't have to be a beautiful lie. There can be a different script you and I can live off. We can live off a different script because there's a different last word. So our question was, so God, what can you offer that someone else cannot? What makes this God indispensable? And the answer, in Jesus, this God has the last word. His word alone affirms or denies, sidelines or redirects all that was before. Well, if God has the last word, how do you know that this word won't change? I mean, even if you knew the last word now, how do you know it won't change in the future? I mean, aren't we more stuck in the middle of the meeting? We're not, we're not at the end. And you might only discover the last word at the end, so how can you know what it is? Well, let's go again to our verses and see how our question is answered. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, Jesus Christ, who he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. As you look at that, uh, that section highlighted orange, what kind of image, how do you visualise what's being written? The idea that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. We kind of know the, the location, the idea of majesty is a position of power, a position of authority, but we all know that there are various seating postures, aren't there? How is Jesus sitting? Well, maybe you think it's a bit like this, you know, feet up, hands back, oh yeah, I'm in a position of power, I'm just going to chill out. Is that how you visualise Jesus sitting? Or maybe sometimes we sit down in prostration and, oh, what's happened? Or perhaps with James Bond coming out, maybe you think Jesus sits down a bit like Daniel Craig, James Bond, a bit of swagger bit of coolness. I'm just cool. I've got everything under control. What was your picture of Jesus here? Well, the writers of Hebrews, when, he, uh, when, when, when the writer penned these words and described Jesus in this way, had a particular picture in their mind, and it was this. It's the idea of everything being completed or finished. Like a keynote speaker, after their address, they leave the podium and they sit down in their chair. Why? Because there's nothing more to be said. Everything has now been completed. There's no further word, no further update. All items have been checked off. The job is done. That's the idea of Jesus sitting. And because Jesus is sitting, that means... We can hear God's last word today and know that it won't change. 
you can hear the last word now, and it still remains the last word. I was having coffee with somebody this morning, a worker, a management consultant, and as we were chatting, he just came back from overseas, and he was saying, I'm in this unusual position, which is, our firm has made budget already. So his small group made budget. Larger Sydney office made budget. Pacific, Asia Pacific made budget. And so he said, well, isn't that the best position to be in? November, two months left, and everything, I now work free of pressure. I don't have to look over my shoulder to see what, what, what's in the pipeline because I know the results now. We're already across the line. And so I don't feel the, the pressure, the anxiety. I work free of that. Now, imagine that that was the situation we've got. That you actually knew the end result now. You knew the last word now. What would our lives look like then? Well, well, we might like to thank this God for being clear and upfront. I mean, this God could have just let us meander through life and then the last word is the last word and then we would have just hope we're right, hope that last word's where we, what we thought. So we might thank God for being clear and upfront. But would we feel relieved? Would we feel the weight lifted off our shoulders? Because there's no long, no pressure to perform anymore. Because you know the last word now. The result has been secured. And would life look different? Especially if this last word is, God's last word is, I've opened up a way for us to communicate, to relate well. I've actually provided forgiveness. All that you may be ashamed of, all that you may have done wrong, and be washed away, removed. So that we can talk openly and honestly. There's nothing more to be done. If that was God's last word, how would we live? Because, as we saw in Hebrews, after Jesus made purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. So our question was, so God, what can you offer that someone else cannot? What makes this God indispensable? Well, in Jesus, this God has the last word, but his word is also lasting. It's complete. No world event, no personal crisis, no great success can change or alter Jesus' position. Jesus is seated. So you can hear the last word today and live in light of this last and lasting word. Well, we're at the end of our series, Interviewing God, and even if, you, if you've been with us here just for this week, perhaps you've caught a glimpse of what it looks like to have this God as in the position of God, if you let this God accept the job of God. Perhaps you're attracted to it. There's a lot on offer. Because throughout the interview, we've seen that this God speaks 
so we can have answers. That was what we saw in the first week. Our past don't haunt us because this God provided purification for sins. We can come to him because he first came to us in Jesus. Like a good manager, he initiates. That's what we saw in our second week. But God is not just like a manager who manages us. God is actually like an artist. He handcrafted each of us so that beauty is part of who we are and can be discovered and unwrapped when we're placed in the right setting before the right audience and in the right light. That's what we saw last week. Life appears better off with Jesus than without him. And yet, what might stop us from giving God the job? So good. What, what might stop us? Well, do you remember the story about Mary and Martha that uh, Tor uh, read before this talk? Uh, let me take you through it. Uh, Martha, uh, it's a story of um, two sisters. Uh, you know, Melbourne Cup just happened this way. It's kind of like they're jockeying for position a little bit. And Martha, well, Martha invites Jesus over for a meal. And what's amazing is Martha would have seen many people walk through her village walk past her front door, but saw in Jesus and his disciples something that set them apart, something unique, because she doesn't invite anybody else for a meal. She picks out Jesus and his disciples. It's as if Martha has said, there's something there that someone else cannot offer. I need to find out. And having identified it, asked Jesus over for a meal. Jesus is in her house, but... She gets busy, and even though she identified something in Jesus, something indispensable, what does Jesus say to Martha? Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. What stopped Martha from having identified something indispensable, investigate or pursuing her curiosity further? It was that many things had crowded out had clouded her picture of this God. And what did Jesus say was indispensable? What did Mary, Martha's sister, do? But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Mary saw something indispensable too, but she sat down and listened. That was the one thing that was needed. Because Mary... Saul heard, not only saw, but heard Jesus' last and lasting words. As we saw in our transcript, in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ. Well, thank you God for um, coming, uh, sitting down to be interviewed we're now on to our last question. I understand uh, why you're interested in me, but this question is probably the hardest. So God, what can you offer that someone else cannot? Well, well the interview has been quite thorough, and obviously you've left the hardest till the last. Uh, firstly, I don't see this as a competition, but, I, but what I can say is that Jesus will inherit everything. He's the heir, and so I have the last word. Even death loses its voice. 
further, my word is lasting too. It is complete and guaranteed to remain the same. You can know the last word now and know that it won't change. Can someone else offer this? Well, I guess by definition, no. Only one person has the last word. I'm glad that you've been able to get to know me better than I do. If you have any follow-up questions, you know where to reach me. Look at Jesus, hear his answers, because that is how I speak to you. But if we are on the same page and you'd like to give me this role, well, I'm really excited and looking forward to the coming days and months ahead. I look forward to working closely with you, growing together and making a difference. First question is an interesting one um, that came by SMS was, uh, why would God have to be interviewed at all? Yeah, why would God have to be interviewed at all? Um, yeah, it, when, I, when I came up with this series, it, it does seem a really odd situation to be in, you know? Kind of, there's a, a role reversal. If God did exist, what would make me, a human, think I can somehow command God to come down here and be interviewed? It's kind of the, the power dynamic seemed to be reversed. Um, and I think that's the starting premise. It just seems to be really odd, an odd thought. However, uh, in the first week, uh, when we looked at um, the question we asked, so God, tell me a bit about yourself. What we found that is, with the God of Christianity, he does something which is extraordinary, which is he speaks to ordinary people. And that's his habit, that's his pattern. And so the God of Christianity, the God that you meet as you read more of the Bible, actually says, even though I'm God, and yes, I could throw my weight around and say, you're just puny, I made you, how, how dare you ask me? This God goes, no, I'm actually going to come in, come down and let you ask this uh, and in fact, if you compare it with other religions, that's a very unusual dynamic to have of a big, powerful God that's kind of happy to, to use the word of humility, humble himself to be interviewed. And in fact, as you read more of the Bible, this God doesn't just humble himself to be interviewed. He even dies on a cross at the first Easter. And that dynamic is something quite powerful, I think, that this God is so accessible and doesn't throw his weight around, doesn't feel he has to throw his weight around. today through the Bible. Uh, that, that, that's a cheeky way. Um, you know, me and my consultant brain are thinking, I could leave it that, but I won't. Um, um, so one way you can uh, read the Bible, God is still speaking. But I guess in part, uh, the question is highlighting, I think, the distinction in this, uh, in this verse, which is the first 
uh, sentence or verse in, our, in the passage we've been looking at, or the part we've been looking at. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So, well, God was in the habit of speaking through many different people in many different ways, in visions, uh, and things like that. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, one way. Now, I guess to modern ears, this sounds like a... You're, you're in the losing trend, you're on the losing side, because he used to speak in many ways. I'd like to see them anyway. But now, in these last days, he only speaks in one way. Have I been shortchanged a little bit? And the answer is, well, it might sound like that, but it's not. Uh, the way the Bible is crafted, it, it's crafted like a reality TV show, like MasterChef. You know, you have episodes that build on each other. But what everyone knows you're waiting for the winner. And once the winner is announced, do you remember all the previous episodes? Each time those episodes were important and real, but once the winner is announced, because that's the most extraordinary, that's the high point of the series, that's where everyone focuses. And that's the same, that's what this verse is saying. Well, God spoke in many ways, but the most personal, most direct, the clearest way was in Jesus Christ. And so, in fact, could God do anything more than come down and rub shoulder to shoulder with people? My, my suggestion is no. The most powerful, most direct way. And so he doesn't need to speak in any other way because the most powerful way is to be very given. You couldn't ask for anything more. I think it's the other way, Marjorie. That's all the questions I have by SMS. Anybody have any other questions that they want to ask Mark for the series? The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.